0: Welcome to episode 155 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast about using, learning, and sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Whether you're a new user or a master sudoer, welcome. I'm Zeb, and with me today are the witches of Linux, Ryan, Noah, and Michael. So Noah, what spells have you been casting this week
1: you know i have been casting the spells of uh of raspberry Pi's. i've been playing with a lot of various different things right. i uh, we yeah we i actually found somebody made a a viewer that basically pulls individual rtsp streams and can comp- pull them all together, and then multiplex them. Uh, and you can do this on a Raspberry Pi. So you can basically make a little viewing station for any of your camera systems out of a Raspberry Pi. So we'll have a link wow. for that. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and like the thing that I love about it is stuff that doesn't exist in the commercial IP realm for any amount of money um, exists on Raspberry Pis in the open source community because somebody went, hey, you know what? This is something we need. And the best thing, the best tool to use this would to do this would be a Raspberry Pi.
0: And at thirty-five dollars for the, for even for the Pi Four, it's ridiculously cheap compared to commercially made systems. It's it's fantastic.
1: That's exactly right. So
0: Ryan, what have you been up to, my friend?
2: So this week, I finally got around to releasing my video on Monjaro Arm Edition on the Pinebook Pro, and it has received a ridiculous reception which was fantastic, Manjaro and Pine64 and others retweeted, commented on it. It's really nice to, to see uh, people get so excited about that video and really just showing the alternate operating systems that you can put on the Pinebook Pro, which goes to one of its coolest features is people like Zeb, who are a distro hopper. In this one, you can just burn the operating system onto the micro SD card, plug it mm-hmm. in and actually run it. The full operating system and install your files and everything on the micro sd card then when you want to go back to the customized debian that it came with you unplug the micro sd card repower it on and boom it's right oh, there. Back you yeah awesome. so it's a pretty awesome thing and uh appreciate everybody checking out that video and and giving
0: it some love great stuff michael what's new in your world
3: uh, well, I actually went to a, a local Lug this, this this past week, and it was really interesting because we had three different presentations at the Lug, and one of them was on PowerShell. The other ones were on uh, Apache Guacamole, which is fun because I I knew that this, this application existed, but I never really tested it. I just knew it existed because how fun the name is. And we also did uh, a presentation on OBS, and that was my presentation. And uh, afterwards, uh, the week, the month before, we actually did a present. I did a presentation on Caden Live and how I did DL. And then after the LBS one, they also, they saw all the scenes that everybody gives me a hard time on this show about. And then after that was done, they were saying, like, I should make all of you sit down and watch me edit the show and how everything works. That way you'd stop trolling me on it. Uh, or we I t- just, it would make it
1: worse. Right.
3: I told them yeah. that there would be no yeah. possible way to stop the trolling because, you know, yeah. Noah, Ryan that's and Zeb, that's, that's what they live for. Other than Noah's right. bubbly is also something that he lives for. Also correct. Um, right. Yes. So uh the, anyway, I just showed them how, how great my OBS scenes are and they all agreed right. that it's fantastic. So all, that's fantastic. All, that's many many great... Just
1: to be clear, just it was to be like clear, 12 this or so. luck. This is the lug where you guys talked about PowerShell. Those guys were impressed with your obs. Scene. Well,
0: <laughs>
3: one person did a presentation about PowerShell, and actually, right, it was an interesting presentation. presentation. Let me ask you something it was on your
1: presentation on Kaden Live. Uh, did you do that one on Windows or no? Because
3: mm-hmm. Kaden Live doesn't really work on Windows, so <laughs> yes, I, like it, oh, I, it doesn't really, oh, it doesn't oh. really.
1: I just got confused because of the whole self presentation. There's
3: a port. That's what that was your fault, sir. And Ooh, I did. Fault? Yes, I was yes it was. Media that year. Yes, no, was it, it was. Was not. Well, it doesn't matter if that's true or not. I'm pretending that it's true, <laughs> so that's how that's this is how the trolls work on this show. What listen, are you talking about? I didn't,
1: I didn't say it was your fault. You. I said I'm blaming you.
3: I know, yeah, but I'm blaming not- you because whether it's your fault or not, it doesn't matter. That's and, uh, and to what be fair, the first you. the first time that first uh, self presentation was on a Chromebook. Thank you. That's why it was right. weird.
1: But you started on Windows. Mm-hmm. No,
3: they they yes, yeah, self wanted me to use Windows. Apparently, <laughs>
0: yeah. And so, he deliberately not mentioned that. The thing that got the most attention was the stool.
2: Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> In fact, if people want to join the stool lug, how do they get how information do they join? How that? do they get the stool lug.com?
3: That is not a thing. It's, it's destinationlinux.org slash telegram. That's how you join the stool lug, apparently.
1: <laughs> That's a weird, <laughs> well, fantastic. That's a weird, strange name for your stool support.
2: And for like, those okay. who don't know, UBports has released a, and I'm not joking here, a stool app out mm-hmm. there so if you are interested great. uh in inspiration of michael they've created a stool app on the ub ports so go check yeah. that
1: out She sure. has excellent reviews from what i understand yeah
2: and zeb <laughs> how has your week been
0: well i've been testing fedora 31 and didn't have a very good time of it unfortunately with the net install version oh no i tried both plasma and xfce and they just didn't feel right you know when you install something and you reboot it and it's like something's not feeling right. So I thought, okay, let's wipe all those and let's go for the basic Fedora XFCE ISO. And boy, what a difference. Instantly back to that slick Fedora feeling, um, added the RPM Fusion. I did the usual NVIDIA multimedia codex jig um, and everything's now chickadee-boo.
2: That's interesting. So you tried Endeavor Net Installer last week. You loved it. Mm-hmm fedora net installer didn't like it it, it just felt it, weird
0: yeah i don't know whether i would chosen the wrong components because what confuses me is you pick that you want to do xfce and then up on this right hand side is then a whole host of programs that you're meant to select and i never know what i'm meant to select and what i'm not because i've tried to select them all before and the whole thing just went poof, and and didn't work at all so this time gotcha. i selected nothing got into fedora and it's like Oh, I haven't got a web browser. Okay, sudo DNF install Firefox. So it's not really for me intuitive what you are or are not supposed to add. So, but doing the um actual respin, or not the respin, but the what do they call them? Fedora spins. Right. So I got the full XFCE ISO installed that as I would do any other ISO and it worked. It worked really well. So apparently
2: you're not alone, Zeb. Uh, Jason in our patron chat says I'm testing the KDE version I'm not having the best experience with it either. So there you go. mm -hmm. Uh, Looks like you, you should go for the regular ISO and maybe something's buggy with the net install version at the moment.
0: Possibly. But yeah, that's so that's what I've been up to this week. Usual Linux stuff with Zeb. Very cool. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by Digital Ocean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 a month. Or you can use their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. And as Ryan would say, that's cheap. (laughs) <laughs> DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for one month free with a $50 credit by going to DL. Once again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to DL. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode.
3: Up first, in the community feedback this week, Leaston writes in to say, Dear DL, a big thank you for providing such great entertainment and education about Linux. I really enjoy and look forward to your podcast each week, and I have learned so much over the years. I would like to raise with you a prickly discussion topic for uh, based on my many years of use and exposure to listening to over 10 podcasts dedicated to Linux. The topic being Linux snobbery. I have spent some considerable time over the past 18 months listening out for what I would describe as the dark side of the force over recent times as I've seen this as an opposite of what Linux truly represents to me and the community. The darkness manifests itself in, a, in many subtle forms such as jokes, derogatory comments, uh, inter, interestingly over-referencing Linux Mint, or no mention at all over, of common distros. In my detailed observations, I sense that using certain distros are perceived to be a bizarre badge of honor. And superiority, uh, by the way, aren't, uh, is, is used by Ryan. Uh, and there are some Whoa. podcasts that have, been, have an unbiased undertone towards a specific distro only uh, at the cost of neutrality. I have taken the time to listen and observe if the Linux distro of choice fits a user's workflow, then I feel this should be celebrated rather than judged as we, as we all evolve at different places but are heading towards the same light. We just choose the different paths along the way. So he says, Linux rules, long live Linux, and kind regards. He also says, P.S., uh, this season, this is the season of goodwill, so we should all be putting nice to Michael because Michael rocks. I actually did not add that into the into the email. You didn't.
2: That actually was there. That was there. Um, so. <laughs> I almost deleted the email, even though he had a really good point in here because he put that Just in there. Just because, because of that, yep. Yeah, but I, I let this one slide this okay, time. that's cool. I think he has a good, some, you know, this is actually coming up quite a bit lately. Mm -hmm. almost nonstop between Twitter, Telegram, you know, just forums, people talking about this negative attitude. I had a comment on the video I did, which somebody was saying, Hey, I'm curious, why is everybody so into Arch in this thing? I tried it. I didn't think it was such a big deal, but people act like it's this badge of honor if you run Arch and that type of thing. And I made the comment and basically said, you know, The whole thing with arch is you you enjoy the aur you like the customization the things you learn while you install it it's stable it's a rolling release that's why people like it everything else a lot of it is kind of jokes or if some people actually believe they're superior because they run arch they need to get their head checked but those people belong those people exist in every type of environment Um, yeah sure and Actually, the example he gave here wasn't Arch. It was Fedora, interestingly enough, and, and some of the specific Yeah, I gave it bias, just to give undertones. a razzing to Ryan. Yeah, so. of course, naturally. <laughs> I mean, see, everybody picks on me, so the next email needs to say, please leave Ryan alone and quit. tell Michael to quit picking on Ryan. On no, there, there wasn't an entire
3: episode just dedicated to a stool for you. Well, so. I didn't buy
2: a $9 <laughs> stool either, so I didn't deserve it. But it's interesting. I, I'm hearing a lot <laughs> of i'm hearing a lot of this people talking about this and you know i every time i hear this i reflect back and think about any time that we have been you know negative towards a project or had issues and there's this fine line that you have to walk because just because we say something we don't like that ubuntu does or fedora does or arch does Mm -hmm. doesn't mean we hate the people doing it doesn't mean we dislike the distro just means we don't like it when we had a discussion in our telegram group recently about PowerShell. PowerShell is, interestingly enough, some people got pretty worked up over the PowerShell thing. We were talking about the fact that I noticed when I was asked to install it to see if it would work on a Pinebook Pro that this message flashed by really quick. And I was like, huh, what's that? Because I was testing someone who said, hey, I want to know if the, the PowerShell works on it. And I go up to the message and it talks about telemetry that it's enabling. And it gives you the option though at the end to turn off that telemetry, but it flashes by during the install process. It's not at the end where you would pause, it's during the install it flashes real quick this message that, hey, by the way, we're installing telemetry. And that to me, when Microsoft is saying, hey, we want to get into open source and we want the community to take us serious, a lot of people use Linux to get away from that telemetry. Does That mean I hate PowerShell and I can't stand anybody who uses it. No, but I'm going to question somebody putting a product in open source and adding telemetry into it. Because at Mm -hmm. the point that we all start accepting all this telemetry and saying, okay, well, it's okay for this company to do it. And it's okay for this company to do it because, well, it's open source. Then we get to the point where, what are we gaining from being on Linux anymore? You might as well just
0: get on Windows and use WSL and, and be good to go. So I'm curious to find out, did you do any tests to say that no, don't turn it on was it then leaking information like they do on microsoft where you say no you know there's absolutely no way of turning everything off and you have to send at least basic information did you test whether or not it was leaking stuff back to my no
2: i have no idea and you know powershell isn't particularly interesting to me i did it because somebody wanted to make sure it ran on the Pinebook pro which it does mm-hmm. Um, But I found it interesting where they put that message that was my biggest problem with it because it gives you the option to turn it off Right in that message. It actually tells you hey, you could you use this command to turn it off, which is nice But the way it was put in the install nobody's gonna see that right most people are not paying attention to all those screens Flashing Hmm. by after you click the enter button for an install to take place and you got all this stuff scrolling You're not gonna see it. I thought that's rather suspicious now in, in, in its defense, I could probably go onto the GitHub, make a suggestion, hey, you need to put the message at the end, maybe it wasn't intentional, those type of things. But my point ultimately is this, there are things that we bring out on this show that we don't like. There are problems that we have and that doesn't mean we hate the projects, that doesn't mean anybody uses it is stupid or we don't right. like them. It just means that we personally, our opinion is, we don't like something that they're doing with it. And uh, hopefully it doesn't go personal and that's where it would be a difference in my opinion.
1: I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And to 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 add on to what you're saying or to dovetail on to what you're saying, you wouldn't want us to come on here and if you want just the just the facts, the plain, basic, straightforward facts with no opinion whatsoever, go read the feature specs on, on any given district. You go to their site, go to Fedora's site, they'll tell you what the feature set is, they'll tell you what the positives are and what the you know. What we try to do is give you the kind of information that you would get if you were an iPhone user, or an Apple user, and you went on to the Apple forms or the iPhone forms to find out what other people that were using Apple and iPhone liked and disliked, right? And so as people who just use Linux every day for all of the things, even Michael, as much as we give him crap, because we <laughs> all take this stuff very seriously, and Ryan works for a you know a, a major a major corporate company, and Michael owns his own business, and I own a business, and and, and Zeb is not only lives on it personally, but also I you,
0: do you work on Linux Zeb? Uh, I don't, unfortunately, no. But I am a I am a software tester, so I have that for technical peppermint. background. So, but, but, yeah, but, not only for peppermint, but in my real job as well. I test the software before it goes out into into the rest of the business.
1: But you have experience going through things and saying, here's what a user would expect to find, and here's what Mm -hmm. what it it equates to a good user experience and a bad user experience. And so when you bring the four of us together and look at something, you... I, I guess all I can tell you is I would plead with you to accept the fact that you want us to come on here and say, hey, go buy the the, uh, the Pine phone because it's going to be a really great buy. You're going to get a lot of value for your money. And we really think that that company is going in a good direction. And hey, you know what? Right now, we probably suggest you hold off on the Libra phone because it doesn't make phone calls. and They're charging a lot of money for something we don't think adds a lot of value to the community. That's what you want for people who spend all waking day and night waiting for Sunday to come together to tell you, hey, Mm -hmm. here's what we experienced throughout the week. And so it's not about tearing people down. And like Ryan said perfectly, it's not about attacking the individual. It's about giving honest and straightforward criticism because the truth is Linux is never going to get better and we are never going to be able to adopt more users if we can't fix the problems that exist within. So when a company does a good job like, uh, like Pine, we extol them and when a company does a bad job we call them out and 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 that goes for that goes for distros as well as hardware companies and because distros are such an interpersonal thing we all have different views on what distro is the best and what distro is good and then some of us are mistaken like Ryan and and use uh, <laughs> half-baked beta software called arch <laughs> that either way yeah but bringing that it snobbery like the
0: snobbery no yeah but bringing it back in line to what the email is talking about if you think we are being snidey if you think we are being unprofessional and not offering a balanced opinion because as as noah said that we have four distinct different personalities on the show who can bring different viewpoints if you think there has been a time where we have been elitist or negative Please let us know, because that's not our intent. We just want to bring you honest opinions about stuff that's happening in Linux.
1: And we want to be funny while doing it, right? I mean, let's not throw that out. We add a certain level of sarcasm to introduce humor because, frankly, this stuff is dry, right? The people who write this stuff and the, when these stories come out, when they're written by very technical people, it reads like uh, like a changelog. And that's not entertaining. That's not You don't want to sit around and watch that. So you have to introduce a certain amount of humor to be able to get through some of this stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the big things I was promoting last year especially was to go out there and say thank you to developers and the community that work on these projects that you love. But there's this also thing that I'm seeing about any negative you know, feedback being given to a distro or a project that everyone seems to think you have to be doing a kumbaya with everyone over a campfire and everything's happy and it's free so you should have no expectations and all of this stuff going on in the community on the opposite side of that. And to Noah's point, I think that's harmful. If we sit here and just tell you, hey... Um, WSL is the greatest thing in the world, and PowerShell doing telemetry is fine because it just makes the software better, and we sell all of this, that everything that anybody does, as long as it's tagged with the word open source, is fine. To me, that is a disservice to the community, and which is why you see us basically raising these topics and saying, hey, we have a problem with it. And like Noah said, I think we would be um, amiss to not be doing that. I think we would be doing a disservice to the community. So Rick writes in to say, Hey guys, longtime listener, but new commenter. I'm a supporter of literacy and language development for communities around the world using Wasta Linux currently in Ethiopia. Basically that means welcome, really love your work. Let the banter continue on that note to start off attached is what a $7 stool is like from Ethiopia, a solid piece of wood hand carved, Michael, a $7 stool.
3: Did you also notice that it's probably about like three inches tall?
2: But it's beautiful. It is, I mean, it is really nice. It's only $7, and you have that aluminum can-looking mitten of a stool back yeah, it's there. Sp- mine is Space
3: for. Age. It's Space Age, though. Oh, so. okay. and For those of
0: you who like to listen <laughs> to the podcast, you'll have to jump on the website, and we'll have a picture of it on there for you.
2: There you go. So regarding your discussion of Linux Mint 19.3, you did a good job describing why Ubuntu Cinnamon is relevant. Cinnamon has met the needs of our users coming from pirated Windows XP 7 and 10 for several years better than other desktop environments. But Mint does hacky stuff that you guys mentioned like the Firefox profile settings, the PPA pinning, etc. that break the standard Ubuntu experience. But it is their right and decision to do so. So thanks again for answering your early episode questions about why is Ubuntu Cinnamon needed? Hey, I see how he turned that full circle right there because I was like, why is it... I'm on to you, Rick. Note that Plasma would be an interesting alternative and have been testing it for multiple years, but as noted by Michael and Ryan, it's a pain to set up, automate our customization so we can roll them out to users without needing to manually configure every install. Gnome oh, yeah. gschema.override files allow this on Gnome-based systems so we can distribute system defaults that we prefer without hacking and breaking upstream things. Thus, Cinnamon layout is merely a tool to swap around gschema.override files to set alternative defaults. So any leads on customizing defaults for Plasma at a system level would be welcome. Keep up the great work. When you have a chance, give Cinnamon a bit more attention. When viewed apart from Linux Mint, a lot of the negatives about it go away since they are, are not mainly Cinnamon complaints, but rather complaints about other things Mint does. Rick?
3: Yeah, I think we were clear go. about the difference between the Mint and Cinnamon thing, though. Uh, but as far as like the Plasma stuff it is possible to do a, like deployment of automation for customizations and settings and stuff like that for plasma it's just not cleanly done it's not there's not like a a package you could export or whatever and then like import that package you have to get the files from your dot config folder and there's a lot of files depending on what you want to you know to deploy out or whatever so while it is possible it is is also fair the point to that it's saying it is a kind of a pain to do so.
2: you would pretty much have to write a script for it because when we were doing the plasma video, Michael, where you were kind of showing your setup, I asked you, "Hey, how do you move your settings over to a, another desktop and you went through it and about in the middle of it, I said, "Well, I'm cutting all this out of the video because I'm already bored <laughs> and it takes too much effort so
0: yeah
3: there it is go. it is quite a lot there's there's many pieces to like what's weird is that there's so much functionality in Plasma, and there's so many things you can tweak and everything, but they've never put the structure in to make it possible to provide those settings to people or to, to redeploy those or anyway because they're like, and it's weird because of all of how, how it's all set up is everything is stored in a file. So it is totally possible. It's just a convoluted thing to do. so
2: Yeah, there you go.
3: But cinnamon is a quite is quite a nice d e and I agree that it's you know if you've tried in other distributions you'll see the the way that they implement it is different than mint um although I do think that mints is is definitely the place to test out cinnamon consider you know since they make cinnamon and everything uh so it's 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 like what cinnamon is supposed to be. So it's if, if you haven't used cinnamon in a while, mint is probably the best one to try it out in the first place. Uh, but there there mm-hmm. are the issues with mint is like this actually goes along with the previous uh, topic where we were talking about the uh, you know the negativity of you know some of the community being like having a stigma attached to things, and I think that cinnamon and mint are that kind of thing. But it's it's also to point out that mint. Our, our negativity towards Mint is specific to certain pieces, but other pieces are, you can also recognize there's good things about it, too. So it's, it's kind of like the same thing of a project having a, just because there's a negative aspects in certain cases doesn't mean that we don't like the project entirely. And I think that Mint is a good example of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And these two emails highlight why we love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email or video that may get incorporated into the show. Send your video links or emails to comments at destinationlinux.org.
3: We're so proud to have Free Geek as our community chosen sponsor for Destination Linux Network. If you're not aware, the Destination Linux Network, we're doing a charity program for a Free Geek that was voted on on our DLN forum. And this is a really great organization because they help to bridge the digital divide, provide education to the communities, uh, leverage the power of open source and Linux, and fight for rights to repair. And if you're not aware, that is a, a, pro- a campaign to sort of like basically guarantee that when you buy something, you actually actually do own it rather than the common thing now of having like a license applied to it or whatever so uh, free geek shares these values the values of our community and we're asking everyone to come together and to help us reach the three thousand dollar goal we have for the fundraising and thanks to zeb with his recent 24-hour stream we're already at half over halfway there with a we have now got to uh, fifteen hundred dollars and in addition to the monetary donation, if you would like, you can donate hardware. That will be uh, properly recycled goods, and they can give it to like people who are in need of hardware. And they have like these really cool programs that are allowing you to people to come in and volunteer so that they can earn to they get their hardware. You know, there was their donated hardware and that kind of thing. And they also allow for e waste support. So if you have something that you want to do, you don't you don't have to you know throw it in the garbage because that just creates a big problem overall. That you can send it to them, and they will re- properly recycle it for you. And if and if they if that if they can't be repaired or something like that, they will take care of it that way. So that's really, really, really awesome. And if you would like to contribute, be sure to go to destinationlinux.network slash free geek to get involved today.
2: Now I may or may not have been spreading a rumor out there that Noah's been basically spending all of his extra money on bubbly water and had not met his commitment to beat my donation to free geek. look at him just shoving it all in our faces for those that can't see he's drinking that fancy $5 can bubbly water there oh two of them oh my gosh but Noah has actually this episode not only uh, matched my donation to free geek but uh, exceeded it so he's really showing uh, his passion and support for uh, giving up basically a whole case of bubbly to
1: free geek so thank you Noah happy to support free geek by uh, sipping on the bubbly (laughs) There probably is actually a way to tie Bubbly responsibly into giving away technology. Like maybe on my show, I should do a thing for every $10 somebody donates to free geek. I'll drink a bubbly in a minute on the air. Or something like
0: that <laughs> that <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's gotta be a
1: way to tie that
0: in. You'll send them a, sa-
2: a signed well, can of bubbly. I'll send
1: them every... a signed can of bubbly and, and I'll picture and it, me on a stool for every, every $50, $50 you donated. Do,
0: <laughs> you could actually do a 24 hour live stream Drinking continue bubbly. To drink bubbly.
1: <laughs> Be great. That's awesome. Great KH was busy finishing out 2019 with some new kernel releases. We now have three stable releases out 5.4.7, 4.19.92, and 4.14.16. One are out now. The most notable fixes include AMD Ryzen Threadripper 3900 has an MCE fix for booting new processors, Intel Comet Lake PCHV and iCart Lake SOC support added to the Intel driver, and lots of fixes and tweaks. So it's been an exciting year for the Linux kernel, and so much hardware enablement is being added with every single release. We're all hoping that 2020 uh, is going to be even more productive in this regard with releasing Intel and their new dedicated GPU and a whole series of Intel and AMD CPU releases are to be expected. So already we have kernel 5.5 which is among other things a fix for app armor uh, regressions which will be a welcome site for Debian and a bunch of users who are suffering from performance issues. Now, we've got a couple questions for the crew. So with so much progress being made on Linux this year from proton to hardware to enablement, Linux has made some great leaps. What are the what are some of the things that you'd like to see improved in 2020? I guess we'll start with Ryan. Well, for
2: me, I think and, and you've agreed with this in the past, better professional audio equipment support from the get-go would be fantastic to see in Linux, namely with Pulse Audio. I think Pulse Audio desperately needs an overhaul, and well, if not an overhaul, then a lot of improvements in its compatibility with basically standardized, industry-standardized audio equipment out there. And I think that would be a huge improvement I would love to see in Linux in 2020. Tablet and mobile support, you know, me and you have gone back and forth a little bit on this, but for the most part, you know, I agree that a lot of the market is headed towards mobile and tablet. I don't believe it will replace laptops and desktops fully. I don't think we're even close there, but that doesn't matter because we all know people are using them at a ridiculous level, in many cases using it more than they touch their desktop or laptop if they even have one. So I think Linux not having good tablet and mobile support out of the box is an issue that needs to be addressed. And the last thing I would love to see is a corporate or well-financed entity focused on the desktop for Linux. Easy install, hardware partnerships, mobile integration, rolling release for the hardware piece. You're getting the latest updates. Somebody that actually cares about the desktop and not just the server stuff would be welcome because I think Linux is ready to dominate on the desktop if we actually had somebody who was pushing it heavily forward versus kind of doing it as a, eh, you know, we have one, we have the desktop, but we're more focused on the server stuff, which is how I feel. I couldn't agree with that more.
1: Yeah. jeez i couldn 't agree with that anymore if I tried
3: I, I feel like every, every company that we have in linux isn 't doesn 't really care about the desktop at all.
1: Canonical might be the exception to that with Martin Wimpress in charge of the desktop, I have no idea i 've not talked to him so I' have no idea what kind of support he's getting logistical support and financial support and stuff like that. But as far as picking the right guy for the job, canonical definitely picked the right guy for the job yeah, and that's true. as far and as, and as far as canonical the company, the fact that they are the fact that they trim down their company and put somebody who they know, I mean, m- I know for a fact that it's not a secret what Martin thinks about Linux on the desktop and where his passion lies and stuff like that. So the fact that Canonical chose to move him to that position speaks well about where their direction of the Linux desktop is going and wh- what value mm-hmm. they place on it. Now, again, we'll see how much money gets put into it. We'll see how much development goes forward. But I think they're probably the, the in my opinion the leading company focusing on the linux desktop and yeah. probably the most likely to, to i couldn't agree more with what you're saying we need somebody to do that
2: yeah i don't think it, it, it's it's being done anymore i think there were focus on a desktop to get people interested yeah. in some of these companies and then once that interest came they said oh there's money over here and it's in the server world nobody has figured out quite yet how to monetize the desktop although i don't think it's really that hard uh, to figure out a plan for it. Nobody's done it. And so therefore they don't see that there are big giant dollar signs there for the desktop specifically in the support arena, which I think people would pay for and welcome to actually not be, you know, just going to a random forum and hoping somebody's going to see their comment, but having a direct support line for their desktop, I think people would pay for it. Even if you had
1: to pay for it, right?
2: Yep, absolutely. So I think there are ways to make money on the desktop. I agree that Martin is probably the best hope for Canonical to get back and refocused on the desktop because I don't yep. think it's been there personally from Canonical the last year. Yep, I, but agree. I, I do think that they could get there. I also you know look at some of the companies like Zorin out there who are selling their desktop environment and trying to find ways to make money. There's some hope there, but System76... This is some of the ones we're not thinking about. Maybe it's going to be a hardware company out there that I comes out so. and is able I, I, to pair the two together.
1: I don't think so. Be, and I And I say that with all due respect to hardware companies who I have a lot of deep respect for, but the reality is it's the spork syndrome. Is it a good fork? Not really. Is it a good spoon? Not really, but Hey, it's fork and a spoon all in one. Yay. Right. Unless you're a company worth billions of dollars, you're not going to make that work. Well, concentrate on the software, make a good operating system or concentrate on the hardware, make good hardware. Don't try and do both. Interesting. I just don't think we're there yet.
3: Yeah. I think that that's an interesting point, but I also think that, I mean, I, I, I second that Ryan's point about the desktop as being a main focus. And I think that it's, it's interesting because I think Canonical used to be that company and Agreed. they kind of switched a little bit to not that company. But I think that Noah's point about, you know, putting Martin Wimpers into that position has maybe some, like has a possibility of changing that back to focusing on at least a, a big degree of, of the desktop, because with Canonical, you having like originally started for the desktop they did a ton of work that made the desktop to the point where it is like cuz there was a you know for Prior to Ubuntu, there was oh, yeah. 10 to 15 years of just no desktop focus at all. And then Ubuntu comes right. around, and then Nobody they kind of – Yeah, they didn't care. And then yeah. even if, if you don't even look at the fact that some distributions use Ubuntu as the base, you could look at the inspiration that has been created from focusing heavily on the desktop, where it used to be the desktop was not really viable for many people other than people who were willing to deal with a lot of headaches. And now we have a position where Ubuntu can be used by practically anyone, you know, as long as their application that they need is available. So, like, there's so much progress that has been made, and I hope that that continues. Because uh, there's there's so much potential, even just you know making money in the support side, but also having the potential for uh, you know providing a full full ecosystem of an operating system that can do everything. Because essentially, the only thing that they, is not there is the desktop. Still, so
2: let's get into the specifics here because I can hear the comments already. Somebody saying, "Oh, you say they're not doing as much for the desktop. What do you mean?" And for me, I'll give you my example. Is this year I've been unable to use Ubuntu. And that has never been the case in the last four years. Ubuntu was always the solution that if I couldn't get something running, I installed Ubuntu, boom, all my hardware worked, everything was fine. It was always my safe place until this year. Now this year, it's actually the the anti-safe place. If I go to Ubuntu, my system crashes because it has no support for the latest AMD GPUs, has no support for the AMD CPUs. Mm -hmm it just doesn't work for my stuff so i can't i mean use you're it.
1: essentially you're essentially regressed you've essentially regressed to using beta software to be able to get linux to work on the <laughs> desktop for you that's
2: that's I'll, the severity of this no you mean i What's use the fantastic and incredible arch it's project. good beta software i agree yeah yeah, yeah. no but fedora anyway. for instance has those patches worked worked in so if you have people are talking about 5700 xd you have to do some hackery to get that to work in ubuntu right now uh, you do get the latest fedora boom it's gonna work right out of the box so who's taking the desktop you know uh, in, in a more serious basis now that's me and everybody knows my AMD thing but I think people want to hear what your thoughts are Noah and
1: Michael and when you say that what do you mean when I say uh, when I'm talking about Linux on the desktop to being taken yeah, not being focused on yep I, I think that to a certain degree we focus on the wrong sides right like anybody and I, we i geez if we haven't proven to this in Linux I don't know what has Getting the basics of a desktop environment down where we can launch applications, close applications, manage processes, restart, log in, log out, stuff like that, right? A lot of people have gotten that right in their own different way. I, there's, you'll, If you go into the Linux forums, you'll find people debating nonstop day and night if KDE is better than Gnome or Gnome better than XFC, whatever. There is no consensus on that. And frankly, the reason for that is because they're all pretty good. Where Linux falls down or where Linux on the desktop falls down, in my estimation, is we are not working with Software manufacturers, we're not going to the Adobe's of the world and the Slacks of the world and the Telegrams of the world and and whoever it is that that has that needs uh, that that has software out there. We're not going to them and saying, how do we make this work better? Give you a perfect example. The latest version of Telegram that I have on my Ubuntu installation, every time I go to download a picture, it gives me this message saying that I'm not using the most up to date version of Telegram uh, of Telegram. Right. Mm -hmm. What is the most up to date version of Telegram? That's weird. I I don't get that on Arch. Huh. So, it, well, and to your point, it depends on what distribution you want. It depends on how you install it, yeah. right? If I try yeah. installing the snap package, I might have a different experience. But if I install the snap package, then all of my downloads go to an entirely separate location. There's all these little weird paper cuts that exist inside of Linux, and they're not enough that any dedicated user is going to, they're not gonna get in the way because we just troubleshoot our way around it because we're used to Mm -hmm. it. And I stand by what I've said for years, which is you just have to decide what problems you want to solve. But at the same time, I have to imagine that fixing that little message that pops up on Telegram is not a big deal. If somebody were to take the time to look into it and do it, I would imagine that there are a lot of those kinds of things that you and I just take for granted that we click on a Samba share thing and you just click back out and then click back in to get the little window to populate all these little workarounds that we just yeah. do subconsciously. That's what's keeping Linux out of mainstream. What's keeping manufacturers mm-hmm. like Dell from saying, or well, other manufacturers like Dell from saying, hey, we'll just ship this stuff on our computers if people want it. Right.
2: Right
3: yeah i think that's a very good point i mean there's the, the the paper cuts are probably the biggest issues because they're you know we kind of ignore them even though they're there's a lot of them but they're just they're tiny little things here and there that like, if you look and, at the like the the fact that when a lot of people talk about lo- using Linux as a as a their main distro or main uh, desktop operating system, they'll sometimes be uh, kind of talking about the terminal and then defend the terminal being faster and easier to use. And once sure, you know, which it is. yeah, which once you know that and once you have already experienced it and you are aware of it, yes, it's faster and easier to, in certain cases. You know, but when you are just intuitive- getting used to it, it's a very big
1: problem. And to mm-hmm. your point, just yesterday, I was helping my wife with something and the NF- NFS share in our house got screwed up on her laptop. And she said, can you help me with this? And she said, will you teach me how to do this? Cause I'd like to know. I said, sure. So I said, well, we're going to go into fstab, and this is what, you know, and she goes, wait, what? I said, we're going to go into fstab, and this is what, you know, boots your computer up. And it mounts all the file systems. And she looks at me and goes, can you please just show me how to do this through Dolphin? I'm like, yeah, that's not a thing. Like, there' little right. stuff like that, we should be able to mount NFS. I mean, if NFS is the draw, is the network file sharing thing that we're gonna use on Linux, why isn't there a way to, and if there is a way to do it through the UI and I'm just missing it, there probably is. But chances are, it's probably some third party add-on or some piece of GUI software that I have to use. It's not mm-hmm. just, I click connect to server, what kind of server is it, NFS, and then enter in the NFS share like I would do on any other operating system. Little stuff like that kills us and I just I really would like to see us get better about that Mm -hmm. Uh, Michael let's I want to move on I want to go back kind of circle back to our questions great discussion but I want to circle back Michael what is what what are the what are some of the things you're looking forward to in 2020 for the Linux kernel
3: well well in in addition to that uh, I also have the uh, like I, I really want to see more companies use the universal app formats. I think that they are incredible value. That is what, one of the things that Linux has a problem with is is the chicken or the egg problem. And that is just getting users to use it. And the reason why we don't have people using it is for certain applications aren't available. And prior to the universal formats, there was not a reasonable option for people for a company to support Linux like when i when every time I had a thing when when the, when the first app the app formats came out with snaps and app images and flat packs were announced I was a huge fan of these and there was this uh question on like ask Ubuntu where if, if someone was asking like why is this being done and it was just – and my response was basically they have so much value because they make the traditional package format not necessary for companies. And this is a huge importance to me because when you have – like I've been av- uh, in, involved in creating software for Linux and an app level for a long time. And one of the worst things about doing that was having to have different package manage- package. Sources for each distribution, and also each version of each distribution. Because if I made a yeah, if I made a package for Debian, that doesn't mean it worked on Ubuntu. And if I make a package for Ubuntu, Ubuntu eighteen oh four, it doesn't mean it works for nineteen oh four. Like there is so many different pieces that just create such a headache that if you take that apply that to like twenty different different distros, that a company would expect to be like to you know expected to support it makes it where there's so much reason to just ignore Linux because the amount of effort and the amount of value in it because of how, like the chicken or the egg problem. Once the companies are supporting it, there's more value in how many people they're getting value or getting usage of. But the main thing is the those app formats make that that issue completely moot and that's why i hope that there's a lot more push for those formats whatever whichever format you want to me doesn't matter because they all work together and there's no conflict so whatever company wants to choose whichever one they want is that going to be
2: the problem to your point though michael is that we're going to fragment the universal package manager to the point where we're right back to where we started i mean there's the app image the flat pack the snap not me. really i'll use whichever one happens to have the software i want at the moment but
3: they don't they don't conflict yeah, with what, each other so it's, right. it's well, and it, whatever they. That, pick. And that's
0: to michael's point it doesn't matter which company chooses an app image or a snap or a flat pack they all work universally now if you prefer snaps over flat pack and adobe decide to deliver their software into flat pack then you've got a big decision to make do i want to use adobe because they have put it in Flatpak, or do i continue to use open source stuff but the fact that they've got it there and they can just concentrate on one of the three and let's hope that more don't come along because i think three is going to be a big enough choice for them it will hopefully mean that they start bringing their software over
3: yeah it yeah. used to be like now having the three different formats is somewhat issue in this in the argument of like there's a little bit of fragmentation but the three formats that do not conflict with each other is a much better fragmentation situation than we used to have where we had 40 different package formats and they all had different versionings of them because even if you had, even if you ignored the other ones that exist, like EOPKG and you don't even really talk about that, you just talk about the big two, RPM and DEB, those still had massive conflicts with a different version of the distro you're using or the different base of the distro that you're using. There was so mm-hmm. much of a... Like, like even the three... Is a thousand times better than it used to be. So I think that those those the fragmentation of the three universal app formats is not really that big of an issue because of there's only three now and they are they allow for support for so many different distributions and it also makes it where uh, there's no conflict whether if they use snaps or flat packs. That's the biggest value that, that there is no conflict and. It doesn't matter to me which which one they use. Uh, There are some issues still with all three of them in variety of different ways. So whatever the the company decides to pick is fine. But I think that's the biggest push for what's value. What could be making the the desktop actually becoming more viable.
2: See in in most industries at some point, like for instance, I don't remember what the competing was, but it came out with Microsoft. It was like Hi-Fi was Hi-Fi was the format. Digital video format versus Blu-ray. No, and that was HD was, DVD. Yeah, HD DVD. That's it. So there was that versus Blu-ray, and there were all these arguments about which one was better, and there were good points on both sides. But eventually, the industry stopped and said, "Okay, we've gone with Blu-ray. Let's stop producing HD DVD and having, you know, both of them sitting on the shelf and confusing people with two different things." Linux doesn't ever do that, right? It's just well, going because to there's keep no there's competing no with flat pack versus snap versus app image yeah. versus you know. Whatever. He's, he's,
1: no, I, I agree with you 100. I was just Michael made a passing comment. I just wanted to address real quickly. I, 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 to, to, to correct that. I guess what Ryan's saying is that there is no, there is no choice made for consumers, and most people don't want to make a choice. They, the reason ring doorbell is even though it can't tie into anything, even though you can't pull an RTSP feed, even though it sends the, the video directly back to the Ring's camera uh, company and they keep recordings of it and you have to pay money to get rec- to access to the recordings, your recordings that they keep. Even though that's the case, people keep buying Ring doorbell because when you walk into Best Buy, everybody else has a Ring doorbell, and that is the, that is the prolific choice. And so if we could get to that on Linux, even if it removed a little bit of freedom, the, but if there was if there was just an agreed upon, hey, if you want to go and fragment and 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 go out on on the on the on the fringes, you're welcome to do that. And Linux is supporting of that. But if you don't want to do that, here is the thing that we recommend you do. If we were all unified on that answer, we'd be set. The problem is people like Ryan are gonna tell people, hey, if you really want a good experience, if you're buying a brand new computer, you better have you better have Arch. And people like me are going to say, listen, I agree with that from a hardware perspective, but I suggest you buy a one or two-year-old computer and just put Ubuntu on it because it's a little more polished. And that is an inconsistent message, and that provides problems.
3: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And both both points are completely valid. If only valid. we had
1: a foundation that could set a you know,
2: standard <laughs> right? and say, hey, you could go do what you want, but this is our standard. If only we had that.
3: Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, And my last thing I wanted to point out about like what my hopes are for is kind of in conjunction with all these things. They're all it all connects to it in a way. But uh, I want more people focusing on wine, like maybe companies do some kind of funding or backing to help wine. That way we can help facilitate more of the chicken or egg problem being you know, solved because like with wine, it allows us to have support for some software that the companies are not being able to use. And I also want to have like a kind of like a combination of those things where if you, if like the wine doing a wine wrapped application is just completely reasonable for a company to do, if they want to support Linux in that kind of gradual way, they could actually have wine wrapped inside of their application and wrap it inside of one of the universal formats. And that would make it possible to use they uh, have Linux users be able to use their software in an easier approach to getting there. Because uh, like TeamViewer, for a very long time, had Wine a Wine wrapper for their entire system, and it worked pretty, you know totally fine for most cases. So that was great. And then they eventually transition away from Wine, so they have their own native client now, and that is something is that another application na- can do.
1: Help me with this, Michael. Is it actually a native client, or they have they just integrated Wine that well that you don't notice it?
3: They switched to cute based to they were to, yeah to be able to do native stuff. I don't know if they have no wine whatsoever, but the way they, they were wrapping it prior, they don't use that stuff anymore. And I don't oh, know yeah. if it's a if it's you know because it's proprietary. I don't know of a hundred percent out of wine, but they did get rid of the toolkit that required them to use wine, and that they did announce that that's why they were not doing the wine wrapper. So I don't know if they are, if they're not using any at any level, but the client is no longer wine wrapped.
2: Interesting. So Zeb, we've taken up all of your time, but uh, you have four seconds to tell us, no, I'm teasing. What are some (laughs) of the things you would love to see on the Linux desktop?
0: Well, I'm going to just bring it down to a very simplistic user level. I want to see less regression happening in Linux because it always seems that in the process of fixing something and bringing out the next new shiny, something breaks somewhere else now this is not down totally to the developers they can only produce what they produce on the equipment they've got so where we the community can help is that we Linux users need to offer more of our time in testing the software before it comes out now people will say oh I'm not clever enough to test us yes you are you've installed Linux so you can go and install their version of Linux, you can simply test the new bits of the software that they have produced in their release notes, and does it work for your hardware? You, Ryan, can immediately write back and say, Do "You know what? This 5700 doesn't work on Ubuntu." Sorry, but that's
2: the problem: is they have to listen and they have to care because I've written those letters, and I agree with you 100%, Zeb. But I've written those letters. I've told them, and the comment you get back is, "Well, we officially support NVIDIA." which okay well that was a great idea back when they owned the whole market mm-hmm. but now they don't they're losing the market in mass very quickly yeah. and they don't own the market and and then the next response was well then use UKUU. that's a hack that is not a fix no, and it's, it's, it's that, a utility
0: that makes that makes it easy for you not having to understand how to download the latest deb's and get it all to work again right um but my point is and I'm not. And I'm not being. I'm not being horrible here. But maybe that's a lone voice. Somebody who has your passion. Did they get a thousand people telling them that their 5700s don't work? No, they probably got half a dozen. So what we as a community need to do is go out there and help them test it. Write in and say, "Look, I'm sorry. It's great, but Nuvo, you still haven't worked out how to use a 2080 Ti yet. Right? Give me give me your latest version. I'll test it for you." I try to do that individually with the individual developers I know and I've helped Dolphin Oracle over at MX work through some issues with the 2080 TI Uh, I did the same with Endeavor and Arco Linux so I'm only one person there are hundreds of thousands of Linux users out there if you could just devote a couple of hours a week to testing your favorite piece of software and not just waiting for it to come down and then jump on a forum somewhere and go oh this ubuntu 2020 is rubbish it's just not working for me well it's a bit like saying oh why did they vote the president in if you didn't go out and vote you can't complain about something if you're not trying to help so we can make less regression if we volunteer our time to do some simple testing but ryan you're right they have then got to be willing to listen
2: absolutely so noah what are your asks for 2020 on the linux on linux what would you like to see
1: you know i as far as the kernel goes i am mostly happy with with the way the kernel functions, like they, I understand, it's a complicated piece of development, and there's a lot of people that look for the newest and greatest thing. But for me, it's always about stability and, and kind of refining stuff out. So there are no big major things I'd like to see. That said, there are some cool things that are in the works, uh, you know, that are related to the kernel that I hope get fleshed out in 2020. And the first one is WireGuard. WireGuard is a fast, modern, secure VPN tunnel that's built right into the kernel. And uh, by all appearances, within the within the next year, we're going to have it as as a as a, as a stable part and as a, as a thing that people can just depend on, and it'll become, I hope, a lot like KVM in that virtualization just becomes something that we just assume exists with Linux, rather than actually having to install or or enable or whatever anything. It's just WireGuard is a thing. We can generate SSH keys, we can generate WireGuard keys, and we can have a secure, stable VPN tunnel. I think that would be really interesting. The other thing is, as it relates to your professional. Multimedia processing, I hope Pipewire, a project mm-hmm. that aims to improve the handling of audio and video under Linux, um, gets a, a lot more traction and gets a lot more adoption. And Pipewire, between Pipewire and WireGuard, we have the ability to create more FFmpeg style software, things that only exist on Linux and work super well, and that major organizations are gonna, are gonna look up and say, you know what? If we need to render a bunch of video files, we're just doing it on Linux because they have built-in VPN support. It has a uh, pipe wire, which ha- makes the, the, the workflow for audio video stuff just crazy cool. One of the things that keeps macOS ahead of the game is because they have spent so much time tweaking and fine tuning all of the little things to, to smooth out all the rough edges so you can just sit down and get to work. And Jason, between Jason Donafield and the, the, the folks over at Pipewire, we are getting there on Linux. So I really hope that those two uh, projects continue to make headway and that we, we, make some, we make some ground there because I think it will put us in a really good position going forward with Linux. Nice, all good ones.
0: So looking back at uh, a mention that Ryan gave earlier about he's working with the ARM processors and, and the Pinebook Pro yeah. what we've got here is the best OS for a Raspberry Pi now tech trends had an interesting article discussing the best OS to run for the Raspberry Pi now we've heavily promoted the Raspberry Pi here and Noah earlier on told us about a great little use for looking at individual streams of your cameras w- around your house so what we thought would be a good idea is to say whether or not we agree or disagree or have we got something else that according to Did uh, trek tens provides the best distro to run so they are mentioning raspbian the official operating system of the raspberry pi arch well well ryan wrote this document good opportunity <laughs> to practice installing arch manjaro runs incredibly and arm on, on arm devices like the pinebrook pro and carly linux pen testing excellence on a pie so for me it's easy to say what do i run on my pie i don't because i never used it i buy these things and i think what am i given it for so i've given it to sudo reboot and he's put it to immense use on because he's got about 19 pies in his house now so let's go over to you guys and michael well, ask you first because I don't think I've ever heard you mention that you run anything on a pie. So, do you use a pie, and if so, what do you use on it? Yeah. I want
2: to jump in here because it controls your stool going up and down. Wow, you've, you've created a modification. I right? mean, that's in not
3: remotely—that's not remotely true. But I—I oh. I actually kind oh, of. Oh, you mean know you haven't got a remote
0: control yet? You have to go over there and push it. Oh, okay. Well, we can work on that for you.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, I've done a lot of like played around with a lot of Pi different like stuff, but what I use as my like main force for the Pi, I guess, is uh, Libra Elect, which is a distribution for Kodi, and it's basically like uh, there's a lot of times where you'd want to put Kodi uh, on a thing, but it's it's not really meant for its own separate thing. So Libra Elect takes that and applies a distribution around it. So you get all the benefits of like the networking aspects and stuff like that. That's not built into Cody. And that's pretty much the, the main thing I use my Pi for. But as far as like overall distributions, I would say that these are good choices. I think Raspbian is probably like the, mo- the most common choice because it's, it comes from Raspberry Pi. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that they, they do a, they do extra extra stuff. That's not necessary. Like they made their own DE that w- you don't really need that. But I think that, uh, Overall, these are fine choices. Uh, I do want to point out that they did they didn't mention Buntu mate as like the one of the main four, mm. so they should. I mean, Buntumate is a really good solid option. They for They did the give it an pie.
2: honorable mention at the end, but basically True, stated but in this article that because it was so new in consideration to these other ones that it, they hadn't fully tested it. So it got an honorable mention along with Risk os which I think that's like a Rust-based?
3: No, I think Risk os is the, um, no, that's React-OS. I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, it's out there too. Yeah. Noah, what do you use for
1: your Pi? I usually use the Noobs Installer, and then if it's a desktop distribution, it's usually Ubuntu Mate, like if it's, it's something I'm gonna actually click around. If it's an appliance-based thing, it's just, Whatever the, the noobs, whatever the project recommends. So most of the time that's Raspbian with something added on. So like Volumio has their own image that you flash onto it. A home assistant has its own image that you mm-hmm. flash onto it. So 90% of my pies are flashed with some special thing. Um, but if I was going to pick like a distribution, I was going to run it like a computer, Ubuntu Matai, hands down, not even, a, not even a question for me.
2: Yeah, I really like Ubuntu Mate on the Pi, and I helped uh, do some beta testing for it. had a fantastic time when he was first working on it. Um, But I generally stick with, if it's not a desktop experience I'm doing on the Pi, then I stick with Raspbian just because it is pretty much any how-to document or anything is going to be linked back to Raspbian. In fact, my Pi hole and everything else is based on Raspbian. I will tell you, though, that Manjaro runs so well on these devices so if you've not checked out manjaro as an option if you're an arch fan um, i think it's just absolutely incredible on the Pinebook pro and i imagine i haven't put it on regular raspberry pi's that it's good there too and i also want to mention you know we talk about raspberry pi a lot but there's a lot of other single board computers out there that you can play with i think Mm raspberry pi you're going to have the most support right you're going to see the most documentation and help and forums because that's what everybody has But for instance, you know, we talk a lot about Pine 64. Well, they have the Rock Pro 64 option, which is a two gigabyte and four gigabyte variation with a very high-end CPU and GPU in it as well that you could play with and install these OSs on. In addition, for instance, Majora, when I went to their download site, had a direct uh, install for the Rock Pro. So you have other options on these boards as well to do projects with.
3: Yeah, there's quite a few options. I mean, there's like the Raspberry Pi is probably the biggest known like I guess brand for these kinds of boards, but there's a ton of stuff like the Pine 64 has multiple different boards you could check out. There's the banana pie. There's the Beagle board. There's a bunch of other stuff like the Odroid and many, many other things. So they, there's, there's, and also there's the, the only issue with these kinds of boards is that, one operating system that's built for one doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for another. So if it's, Mm -hmm. if they make it for the Raspberry Pi, there's no guarantee it's going to work for any of the other boards. So you want to make sure that when you go to get one of those boards, you have something in mind for that particular board and you know what you want to use will work with it. So that's the kind of the thing. So you don't want to just go out and get a random board. If you don't, if you haven't done any research on it because of that whole arm based. I mean, That's a good point.
2: Sometimes I just find a good deal in a Raspberry Pi and will buy it just because, I know at some point I'll find a project for it. And it always works out. There's always some point there's a project. Whereas if you buy one of these other boards and you find that project you want, and well, it just happens to not be compatible with it, that would be a shame. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you know what you're you're getting. Yeah.
0: And actually, that's given a good thing for me, because next time I find the urge to buy the Raspberry Pi 5, I'll just buy it and ship it to you, Ryan.
2: Thank you. I actually (laughs) would appreciate that. I'll take them all the time. So let us know in the community what you do with your pie. We see some of the the folks in our patron chat saying they use Armbian for a headless pie hole. And I'm sure there are many other awesome projects that you're involved in. There's everything from robotics to AI to clustering them together. There are so many projects, it's endless with it. But I would love on our discourse forum for you guys to post pictures and show us what you use, your Raspberry Pi or alternative, maybe what you use your Rock Pro for, and let us see.
3: And I'll make a thread for this particular topic so you can go, you have it directly in the show notes to check out and let us know what you use on your Raspberry Pi or whatever other board you use as well. Excellent. So, we're going to move on to another section, but this is actually kind of somewhat similar because we talked about the Odroid, and there is a new device that looks really cool that's coming out later this month, and it's called the Odroid Go. It's a $50 handheld device, which is essentially basically like a retro games device, but also it can be used as a, a full computer. Well, not a full computer, but it's usually as a computer because of the power it has in it. So, this is uh, for anyone who has like nostalgia for the Nintendo DS, Game Boy, PSP, the Sega Game Gear, any of that kind of stuff, you can use the Odroid Go advanced system that's coming out that allows you to essentially play these games through an emulation software. So, this. Yeah. Later in January, there's going to have this. This device is going to come out. Uh, That's what the estimate is right now. And they have it's a 3.5 inch display with like an LCD display. It's going to have 1.3 gigahertz Rock chip with a quad core ARM processor. It's going to have a Mali GPU with the G31 MP2 graphics. It's gonna have one gig of RAM. Uh, it's gonna have its uh, built-in st- uh, speakers, uh, headphone jack as well, and it's gonna have three thousand milliamp hour battery. So it's it's really cool because it's essentially it allows you to do like the old style handheld game, but in a more you know uh, do it yourself sort of approach. So you can have you can actually customize it and put on your own different uh, emulation station interface, or you can have like uh, you could I think you could put like one of the retro style. It like retropie
2: or whatever yeah retropie
3: or like or like Lockka or something like that uh, so it's what's it's a really cool idea and i think it looks pretty slick uh i i, I, I don't know why but i really like the transparent case of it as well
2: i always love the transparent cases to look yeah. inside and see the the components that make it up yeah, it really looks cool. like they ship you a kit and that's why it's so inexpensive they basically ship you all of the parts and you assemble these parts into your portable game system right. but it looks pretty cool the price Though we talked about this in in my Das Geek Telegram chat about the price being one of those things where it's so low. Everyone's like, could it really be as good as it looks type of thing? I hope it is. It looks very, very neat. I would love to get this in the hands of my kids, yeah. for instance, for traveling or going on trips where they could play some of these games and back when zeb did have a raspberry pi we had a little competition going of who could get the most emulated games zeb won i i think he had like i
0: don't know some ridiculous insane amount of games how many did you acquire um i think it ended up being i don't know why but the figure of two and a half thousand um springs to mind but then i think <laughs> another guy on the internet henk came up with a hundred and twenty eight gigabyte image that had something stupid like fifty thousand games or it was, yeah it was it was it was just you could never play them in a lifetime if you tried to play them one a day. For the rest of your life, I mean, fifty five thousand games—it's ridiculous.
3: Yeah, and uh, and it's really cool when this particular device because they have like retro games because you know Zeb loves pixelated games, so you have a lot of those Mm. available to you as well. But I actually I like this as I want to try this out because this is the second version of it because they had the O Droid Go and this is the advanced version of it, so it's actually like a little bit more powerful than the previous version. Yeah, because they've they've already done another version, it it has a lot more. Like I'm more excited about it because they've kind of like sort of a proven track
1: record
0: right mm. i can't wait you know three imagine it three and a half inch screen four little blocks there's me wheels a bigger block is me truck and i hit the square in front of me that's me caravan i oh, it's going to be fantastic perfect
2: <laughs> so next up in the news we have a story of well a company everybody hates that continues to do things to make people hate them EA, a gaming Goliath that is regularly listed as the most hated company voted for by the community, not just Linux community, the entire gaming community, pretty much every year. In fact, even during the banking debacle, I believe they were still rated the most hated company out there, which is shocking how much people hate
3: this company. They were basically, at most, they're tied with Comcast. (laughs) That's that's how hated they are.
2: (laughs) So EA has decided to do some things to make people dislike them more, including banning Linux users from playing their games. So they recently started banning users who were basically playing their game Battlefield 5. And if you were playing it through wine, which is the only way you could play it, then their anti cheat tool, which considers DXVK uh, VK to be cheating, apparently would mistakenly ban them. Now, this has happened before with other games. So other games have, you know, whether they're running it through Wine or something else in Linux, uh, would trigger a, you know, their anti-cheat system to flag the Linux user and it would ban. Then people would, you know, the internet would show a little bit of rage, maybe post some tweets about it, and the company would quickly reverse that decision, get it mm-hmm. fixed, and Linux users were back in the game. Not EA. No. Uh, <laughs> EA basically decided to double down and any response they've given so far to users banned is pretty much, yeah, we've looked at your case and you used wine and you're banned. So
0: So before you get on to the next bit, we talked about just before the show that there are now some naysayers coming along to say, really, EA banning players? But I think it's this next quote that you're going to provide us from with a company i think this company has got enough reputation to be listened to and be believed
2: yeah absolutely so lutris joined in and tweeted out that it has come to our attention that several battlefield 5 players recently been banned it's more than several there's a whole reddit forum full of people uh for playing on linux and that ea has chosen not to revert those wrong for punishments due to this we advise to refrain from playing any multiplayer games published by ea in the future so Lutris holds a lot of weight in the community for Linux gaming. It's great to see them actually come out there and, you know, put their foot down as well, um, backing the players up here. Personally, I would never touch one of these games, but I get that some people, because it's EA, uh, like this game specifically and love to play it. So if you are on Linux and you choose to do so, just know your account may be banned, and all the loot crates that you paid way too much money for uh, Mm -hmm. will also be lost to you as well. So... Next time you're looking for a game, if it says EA, avoid it at all costs.
0: So up this week on the Software Spotlight, we've got an alternative to your usual um, media player or your usual MP3 player. We've talked about in the past QMMP and all of the other Clementines and Lollipop and all sorts of other applications, but you can actually play your music quite well from the terminal. So CMUS music player for the terminal features include gapless playback replay gain support mp3 and og streaming from shoutcast or icecast playlist support and powerful playlist filters play the queue file browser you can send your stuff to Last.fm or libra fm several different view modes color themes and VI-like keyboard shortcuts. Now, I didn't actually get a chance to use this this week, but I'm going to have a go because there's a uh, gentleman in the Telegram groups, I think Linux Paul, who uses nothing but the Cmus music player. And I love he's got it. Some, he's got some great choices in, in, in music, and he just sits there and he fires it up and he has it in a corner, and he doesn't have to worry about the GUI crashing or you know, you hogging all that memory because it's a simple terminal application. So someone who's actually used it here, how has your experience been?
2: So I've been playing with this this week and some of these applications that you play with in the terminal, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, they could be kind of hokey. There's no real reason for them. And yes, you could make the argument that this could fall into that category too, but there's just something about this player that it has all of these advanced features that you can get to within the terminal. And because it has VI keyboard shortcuts, if you're one of those people like me that I don't get to work in in VI all day long or Vim and memorize all of these shortcuts, I basically have to force myself to go in there to work on something because my day job, I don't do Linux uh, every day. So having something where I get into the terminal, utilize some of the VI shortcuts to run things, open file managers, browse different... Uh, areas of the music to me it was just a lot of fun to play with it's a fun project that's what it's for and I've enjoyed the heck out of it
3: yeah I, I used to use it as my main media player or music player back in the day uh, it's very powerful it's very featureful. It is incredibly fast and efficient because it's a terminal application. But of course, it's a terminal application, so it doesn't look that great. So it depends on what you're kind of looking for. But I think that CM- CMOS is a fantastic music player if anybody wants to
1: you know, check it out. Staying with the CLI functionality, of the episode did you know that you can adjust the external monitor brightness display right from your command line with dd it's a utility that will allow you to adjust the brightness of external monitors now you might say to yourself why would you want to do that and the answer of course is when you connect your laptop to an external monitor where you're sitting down for the night and all of a sudden the monitor comes on it's a nice 27 inch 4k display that you buy and right in front of your face white bright light and you're like ah oh, do you really want to go into the control panel and open this thing up and click on the monitor and then or would it, would you just like to map a hotkey to a given little script that just lowers your monitor and you can I want to
2: map a hotkey.
1: Exactly. And you know okay. what? You're <laughs> going to be so proud of me Ryan. This came from archlinux.org. Of so the DDCCI, the display data Channel command interface can be used to connect external external monitors implementing the monitor control command set or MCCS over I2C DDC. There's a lot of acronyms here. The point is you can. uh, you, it sounds like is, you're reading from the ArchWiki. <laughs> here's the bottom line. You can put some magical incantations into the little command thingy and the brightness will change in your monitor. That's what we all need to know. And that's your tip and trick this week. And that's
0: cool. A quick question on that then. How does that differ from and how much better is that from the R output, your monitor name, minus, minus brightness, 0.7? Because that will then reduce your the brightness same. by
1: 30%. I wonder if it doesn't do the same thing.
0: Well, does that interface Um, with external
1: monitors, Sep? Yes.
0: Yes, No, I know Noah's
1: does, but I don't
0: know if... No, yeah. No, the minute you connect it, XR&R will know that you've got your laptop monitor and you've got another monitor.
2: Yeah, but you've got to run the command of which one. You have to find out what it's named. Yeah, and and it's
0: simply XR&R. Yeah. So you run XR&R. The same as you're going to have to know from Noah's thing, which monitor are you going to reduce? So with the XR&R command, you literally say, output this terminal with this brightness setting and it literally reduces the screen in front of you by whatever percentage you put in
2: this you do the same thing it looks like it's very similar you basically will put ddc util and then you could put you know set vcp to 10 or 70 or whatever you want the value to be
0: nice i'll have to check this out
2: so a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want to behind-the-scenes pass into the making of this show and see Michael yelling at us for all those people that think Michael's so nice, Mate, if you want to see fakeness. why he is not so nice, then you need to become a patron. you have the opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming a patron, and keep the show going. You get perks like access to the live recordings. And if you can't show up to the live recordings, you also get unedited versions of the show that you can watch at your leisure. The best part is you could join for just a few dollars a month on Patreon or sponsors.
1: Destination Linux Network also has a new way for you to become a part of the network by going to our DestinationLinux.network page and joining our forums and Mumble servers. You can even become a part of the community even. While you're there, you can check out all of our shows as part, that are part of the network, like the new Deal and Extend podcast, where they take the hottest topics and do a deep dive, providing different perspectives and additional insight into the topics covered on the show, like DL, throughout the week.
0: So please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask questions you may have. There are numerous methods you can do this. We have email comments at DestinationLinux.org, our Telegram group, our Discord, uh, Discourse, Twitter, Mastodon, and other ways that you can find us on our website, DestinationLinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep the comments and questions coming. We love to read them and hear of ways we might be able to improve the show. Don't forget to join our Mumble server, chat with the community, set up gaming sessions, and enjoy the networking
3: and if you want more content from from us the fun doesn't stop here we also have our own channels that you can check out you can check out co- uh, content from ryan by going to youtube.com where he fills your brains on hardware software and all things linux you can check out Zeb's content where he sometimes does 24 hour stream streams, but you know, he he's saying that he won't ever do it again, but it's it's possible. We're gonna we're, gonna we're gonna convince him at some point. But he also does live streaming for his Euro Truck Simulator 2 stuff and some other games on his Zebedee Gaming YouTube channel. So you might want to check that out. He also might my the occasional Gentoo stream. And you can check out my content by going to tuxdigital.com where I do a weekly in-depth Linux news podcast called This Weekend Linux and other Linux related content i almost said i almost said tux my tux my stool or tux digital i almost said that
2: i'm gonna
3: i'm gonna have to edit it it'll it'll work
2: (laughs) whoever did tuxmystool.com that's brilliant like I, I got, it, I it? got it all out, but <laughs>
0: I wish it had been me, so it wasn't this week. So well done, Noah. Oh, that must have been Noah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I almost got it out. Like I, I finished the actual piece before I started laughing, but it, it's like it, I don't know if you noticed. Tucks, I started. I was close. Tucks my stool. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway,
0: oh, that's so bad. all right. <laughs> no, he can't go yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gone again. It's so rare. It's so
2: rare for Zeb to lose it. It's just fantastic what he does. Yeah. When Zeb joins in our childish dance, that's when we know we won. <laughs>
3: we know we won. <laughs> uh, <sighs> uh,
0: but All right. You might have to adjust the red hue. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And Noah hosts his own weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him and call in and he'll answer your questions about Linux or stools, all kinds of stuff. And uh, also be sure to like that smash button and share the show on social media.
0: Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye now.
3: I hope you get stool questions.
1: (sighs) <laughs> That's going to be I'm not going to lie I'd be yeah. highly disappointed if I didn't get a
2: stool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call in next week. So,
1: what kind of stool do you recommend? <clears throat> I will have an answer for you if you do.